0: Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's go back to Proverbs chapter 31, <clears throat> and you'll remember now that last week uh, we were in verses 17 and 18, and uh, we really looked at some great material on, uh, on a number of levels. And one of the things that I liked about last week was the example that we have of showing you how that the Bible will always develop itself in the truth that it's trying to give us. You know, And I'm always looking for examples uh, in the Bible to show you uh, that great concept of learning your Bible because I think that it's, uh, it's, it's one of the key areas that we have to look out for and look for. One of, we, we saw it Thursday night when somebody asked about uh, the book of Acts and the book of Joshua, why Joshua's name is chained to Jesus, um, and, I, and I told you how that was a great key. And then I just <coughs> took you a little farther in the book of Acts and showed you the word Easter, and shows you how the, that is a key. And the Bible is filled with things like that. And, uh, you know, the Bible will always interpret itself. First Peter chapter 1, verse 20 tells us that the Bible is of no private interpretation. Uh, it will always lay itself out. In 1 in Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, he talks about comparing spiritual with spiritual, or in a context, Scripture with Scripture. And the Bible will be its own dictionary. The Bible will be its own... Uh, uh, commentary, And I'm not against uh, all the other commentaries that good guys write, because I'm not saying you shouldn't read those and you, and you learn from that. But the bottom line is this. Uh, the Bible is its own dictionary and its own commentary, and you get to a place in your life where uh, that's all you, you really need. And, you know, uh, and, uh, but I, I say that knowing that back in our bookstore we have some great commentaries back there that will get you started and, and help lay some things out for you. But when it comes to the Bible, and this is something that I see uh, people do all the time, you never try to make it fit into what you want to believe. And that's exactly what people do today. Uh, When it comes to something that they really want to believe. I told you Thursday night, we should never get to the place in our Christian life where there's anything we just have to believe and want to believe so badly that we just uh, throw everything out. I know it doesn't appear to many people that because I can be dogmatic about many things and I know it doesn't appear to many people that I'm very open-minded, but you don't know me very well because I'm probably the most open-minded person uh, that you ever met in your life. My problem is, or maybe it's your problem, I'm not sure, but the issue is that for me, I have a final authority. Amen. And I'm open to anything. I mean, if somebody wants to tell me that, uh, you know, that uh, somebody sent me a, years ago when the when the 9-11 and the World Trade Center uh, blew up, both of them, you know, somebody sent me a link that it was aliens that did it. And actually sent me a link that you could, if you looked, it showed little aliens scaling around the, the thing up there, you know. Somebody had put them on there. But I'm okay with that, <clears throat> you know. It's a, if that's the what happened, then that's what happened. I don't believe that's what happened, but, you know, hey, I'm open to anything. And uh, <clears throat> it's a thing where, but I have a final authority that I judge everything by. So my open-mindedness gets down to a very narrow funnel when it comes down to the book that God's given me that is the absolute standard for everything I judge it by. But I'll listen to anything. I, I don't care. A lot, of it's in, a lot of it's entertaining. A lot of it's good. A lot of it's thought-provoking. You know, and, uh, you know, most of God's people, if they had an original thought, it would die of boredom. I mean, it's a thing where you got to think, and there's nothing wrong with expanding your mind and looking at everything as long as (coughs) you have a final authority to run it all by. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, when it comes to the Bible, uh, you never want to try to make what you believe fit into what... Uh, the Bible says. You want to make the, you want to, I mean, that's what you want to do. You want to make it fit into the Word of God, not the other way around. And you always let your belief fit into the Scriptures. And what we saw last week was was a basic, true, systematic theology, as I like to call it. We saw in Proverbs 31, verses 18 and 19, he took the word loins, and he talked about the strength of somebody's loins. But we didn't stop there. And that's a lot what you do with the Bible. You get a truth but you don't stop at that truth. You've got to get down to the lowest common denominator, as we like to call it. You know, get down to the bottom line. And we went over then to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. And we developed that and saw how that it was loins girt about with truth. Ah, now we, now we know what the strength is. It's the truth of God's word. Then we didn't stop there, did we? We took it over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, and we saw there that it talks about uh, the loins of your mind. So now we have a complete understanding of what loins are in the Bible. It's strength, but strength based on the Word of God, but strength based on the Word of God that you let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What an incredible outlaying of truth just by going to the Bible. And it's one of those things that will, will really help you. Now, that's a great example of what, like I said, the Bible will do for us, and there's nothing left to the imagination. It's right there. You can't make that fit anywhere but the way the Bible itself makes it fit. And I've learned this over the years with people. Many times (coughs) a person wants to believe something so badly that they'll simply throw out all the rules uh, a way that will keep them uh, straight doctrinally, and that's how you get into heresy. Uh, You know, and it's it's true of every aspect of their life, but, boy, it is certainly true (coughs) when it comes to the Bible. So they make something say what they want it to say, and, uh, you know, they convince themselves that this is what it's saying. But every time they do that, they will violate all of the principles that are connected to the Bible that keep us rightly dividing the word of truth, or if you don't, then you're going to wrongly divide it. (coughs) You know, every heresy is saved or lost, and you find heresies that, that, that were with unsaved people. <clears throat> That'll be like the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons, Roman Catholics, and that crowd. But then you have <clears throat> heresies that are in the body of Christ. That's bad teaching with saved people. And you'd have situations like that, predestination, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, a charismatic movement, you know, all of those things where people really get, you can lose your salvation and all that stuff, healing, tongues, all that. And uh, in every case, when you find that, in either saved or lost, you're going to find that they have simply violated three basic rules of Bible study. And it's it's just a simple thing. First thing is they throw out the context. They don't even stop and ask themselves, what is the context of what I'm reading here? Who is it written to? Why is it written? How does it apply to me? The second thing that they won't do is they won't look for a biblical definition. You know, you take tongues, and everybody in the world speaks in tongues today that's in the, in the charismatic movement, and, you know, it's a rampant thing, and they will tell you that if you don't speak in tongues, that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit of God. Jimmy Swagger said if you didn't speak in tongues, you weren't going in a rapture. I'm not sure if that was before or after he hooked up with that hooker and got busted by the cops. But anyway, <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, that's just not the way that it works. When you go through the Bible, you'll find here again, tongues. Sure. Then it says tongues are for a sign. Good. And then it tells you that the Jew requires that sign. See? One, two, three. Bible defined it for you. Now, I could give that to the 98% of the charismatics today, and they just look at me like a deer in the headlights when you're hitting on the road. You know what I'm saying? They wouldn't do anything for them. You know why? Because they've already come to the place that they made up their minds that they're going to speak in tongues. And it doesn't matter what the Bible says. It doesn't matter what the Bible lays out. And uh, it's a thing where it, it's not just the way it works with people. And I've dealt with that all of my life. And it's one of those things that uh, every heresy will, will simply violate three things, context, definitions, and then the historical perspective. I mean, if there isn't a historical chain of evidence of what you're believing, and you've you got to look at it. It's just that simple. And, uh, you know, it's a thing where you never want to teach or believe something uh, just because uh, you have to alter the Word of God to make it work or make it fit. Or you don't want to fall into something because your family uh, believed that all for generations. I've had people say, hey, look, my grandmother taught me that, and that's right. Well, you know what? No disrespect to your grandma, but she did not know what she's talking about. She should have stuck with chocolate chip cookies and brownies. But get into the Bible, she was a little over her pay grade. And it's a thing where, you know, and not saying the same thing about me. Don't believe everything I tell you. Hey, don't believe anything I tell you. Search the scriptures. Get into the word of God. Shut up, Bozy. <laughs> Those people that came today, once they saw you were here, they were leaving. I had to stop and make them come back just to sit over there because they didn't want to be around. They didn't want to be in the same building. Notice they sat over there as far as they could get away from you. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to say now? That, uh, okay, good. Nobody in this world I love more than that man right there. We have fun together, always have always will have and um, it's he 's just my buddy, but anyway uh, and i don 't know how his wife puts up with him, but uh, amen, amen. You know, and you know and, and he 's such a kind guy on mother 's day, he wanted to take her out to eat on her anniversary on mother 's Day, you know, and he took her to mcdonald 's and he's so no 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 no, no. he 's told her before he got there. look, if you want to supersize it it 's okay with me. <laughs> But these are, this, is, this is how it works. You never want to teach the, the, a Bible or take something that just somebody says without going back to the Scriptures and following those three rules. It isn't about the person who teaches you. It's about the rules that they follow in their teaching. And then we saw how that when you, you, uh, you gird your loins with truth, your mind, God's mind, that it will make your arms and your hands so strong. In fact, the Bible says in Psalms 1834 that you can break a bow of steel uh, on them. And that shows you that what you have in your mind, we talked about this, translates down into your feet and to the arms and the work that you're going to do. I think one of the greatest things we saw last week, and I'm giving you all this because it's going to fit right into where we're going today, uh, we saw her, the Bible talked about her perspective. And probably two of the simplest, greatest aspects that the Bible will give you uh, as you let God's mind be in you in Philippians 2.5 and 1 Corinthians 2.16 will be the aspect of getting perspective and getting discernment. Uh, In the Bible, you have a guy who's called, he's void of understanding, and that's most of God's people. And the thing that, that the Word of God will do for you if you do it correctly... It'll give you perspective, like this woman had, and it'll give you, uh, it'll give you uh, discernment. And, uh, you know, uh, perception is the ability to understand the bottom line of things. You perceive something. You see it, and you can perceive what it really is. A lot of things in the world, and just set the world aside for a minute. We know that's true. A lot of things in Christianity appear to be one thing when actually there's something else. And you'll see that all the time. Uh, you'll see guys get up in the pulpit that pretend that they have the truth when they don't have the truth. You'll see God's people to pretend they're spiritual when they're not. And I am not telling you this to so you can go around judging anything or anybody, but I am telling you this. You don't have a right to judge anybody else for what they're doing, but you do have a right to judge how you're going to allow that to impact your life, whether you're going to let it in or not. And that's perception. Perception is the ability to understand uh, the bottom line of the real issue not as not 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 the symptom you you look at a per- problem a person has and the whole christian world looks at the symptom but somebody with perception goes past the symptom and sees the problem and this is why so many of God's people can't ever get the victory in life because you have spent all your life treating the symptoms instead of letting somebody get into your world and get to the problem and you don't want that uh, you know i we we all famous for this that we don't feel good, and we go to the doctor. He gives us a, uh, some kind of medicine to put us on, and most of us take the medicine until we start feeling better. Then we don't take it anymore because it tastes bad. You know, it may mess, mess up your GI tract. It, has, it gives you all kinds of side effects. So you just start feeling better, and what happens? You get a relapse of it. And that's what happens with God's people. You come in. You start to be discipled. <clears throat> Somebody starts working with you. You and I are meeting together, and then suddenly... Where are you now? You're gone. You don't come in and ask any questions anymore. You don't run anything by anybody. You're out there and you got just enough medicine to make yourself feel better. And now you don't want to take any more medicine or you want it on your terms. And That's just the way that it works. That's just, that's just how it works. And I want you to know that, you know, perception is the ability to understand something and see it for what it is, but discernment. Is the ability that how you're going to deal with it. And you've got to have those two aspects, first of all, for your own life, or you're going to be a mess. And then, secondly, for the ministry itself, or you're going to be a mess. You have to be able to, as this woman, she perceived that her merchandise was good. And then she had the discernment to be able to use that. And we're going to see how she used that today. And in everything that I do for you here, That all the stuff that we work on, the one-on-one that we spend so much time with so many of you, and, and the Bible Institute, which we had a great time yesterday, a people ministry, and Thursday night Bible study, and everything that I do, my bottom-line goal is to get you to a point where you get into the Bible to a degree that perception and discretion become the hallmark of your relationship with Christ and everything that you do. You look at anything in life and you understand it from God's principles, perception, and then you understand how to deal with it, discernment. And as I said, in Proverbs, you have a guy that's mentioned who's a fool who's void of understanding. And this guy walks around thinking like he knows it all, thinking like he's got it all together, and he's void of understanding. And very frankly, many of God's people are that way today. Then we looked at verse 18, an incredible teaching uh, of us as candles, uh, and, uh, and it talked about, uh, Matthew chapter 5, it talked about the uh, candle on a hill, and I talked about, we talked about how that every one of us is a light for God likened to a candle, and uh, that we let our light shine uh, as we build together uh, this field and this church and get 300 people with their lights turned on, their candles lit, and then everything, you know, everything uh, going from there. And uh, that how that, today in Christianity, uh, every period of church history had a, had a candle. I showed you back in First uh, uh, Samuel chapter 3, which is the picture of the time that we live in, how that candle went out. And then I brought it up to Revelation, the Laodicean church, the seven church periods there. And each one of those church periods has an angel and a candlestick that is a light that represents that church. And I showed you in Revelation 1, 20, Revelation 2, 5, Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16, that I took you over to the book of Colossians, which is dealing with the Laodicean church, and in Matthew chapter 5, where the light candle shines, and I showed you how that very clearly from Revelation 3, that the Laodicean church period, right now, us, this church period, its candle's gone out. And that's the problem. No light, no truth, no ministry. And years ago, maybe not years ago, but several years ago, I've taught it several times. I laid out for you the seven things that you lose when you lose your Bible. And we are seeing today, when you lose these seven things, just as in First Samuel chapter 3, the candle goes out. And the angel has been spewed out of Christ's mouth, as it tells you there in, in Revelation chapter 3. So that was last week, and just kind of a recap, and we're going to see how that moves into today, because today we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 31, uh, verses 19 and 20. And it simply says, She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. Josh, would you stand up and ask God's blessing on them preaching this morning? Lord, thank you for the Now, our our verse that we're building everything in Proverbs 31 around is you should be well uh, have it memorized by now if you haven't already. Philippians 1-6. The fact that he hath begun a good work in us and will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. And we know now that the day of Jesus Christ will be uh, the day of the Lord comes back and in particular the judgment seat of Christ. That's his day versus the day of the Lord which is the second coming which is God's day. And verse 19 says, She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff." Now here we begin to see the fulfillment of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 because now we see that she's actually at work. Now, we're not talking about what she needed to do. Now, she's sitting at the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. Now, the distaff will be thread. The spindle is the machine by which uh, she sews or she puts things together. And now, we see that she has fully come to the place where she is doing the job, and all through the Bible, we've talked about this many, many times, there's four key ingredients that we have to have to really do the work of God. And this woman has them all. And very frankly, many of you have them all. But first of all, you have to have the right man or the right woman. Then you've got to have that right man or woman in the right place. <clears throat> then you've got to have them in the right time frame. And then you've got to have them in the right work. And that's exactly <clears throat> what we have seen throughout the Word of God in almost everybody's life that God really used. And it's true in so many of, of our lives uh, that God used. The she cons- first thing she did was she considered a field. She looked at it, and then she bought it, all right? That's the, that's the right person in the right place. And then she understands from Matthew chapter 20, we talked about it at great length, that the time frame she's in in relationship to Christ's coming. So now she's got the right time. And then she gets, to, uh, she gets the strength and then she carries that strength out in the work that she does and now she has the right work. So you have the right man in the right place in the right time with the right work. And now she's sitting at the spindle using the, the staff, the thread, to make some clothes. Now, that sounds like a simple thing, and you would look at that and say, oh, ho-hum, okay, she's making clothes. But in its simplest form, that's exactly what every church should be doing, every pastor should be doing, and those of you who are dialed into the ministry and working with people, that's basically what we do when we minister the Word of God to people. We're helping them make clothes. And you're going to find that uh, you're going to make clothes, so they 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 won't be found naked at the judgment seat of Christ. One of the great unknown doctrines found in First Corinthians chapter three and Second Corinthians chapter five, the day of Jesus Christ or the day of Christ, we're told that somebody is going to their nakedness is going to appear. They're going to stand naked before God at the judgment seat. One of the most incredible unknown doctrines that you' never hear preached any place anywhere, because nobody really understands it anymore. And uh, we are warned we are warned in, in Revelation chapter three, when we were in the great Philadelphian church age, we were warned to watch out because there was an hour of temptation going to come across the church in the world. And brother, around 1900, we entered into that period of temptation it all changed around that period of time. And for a number of reasons, where well, we won't have time to go into today, but we were warned that there was an hour of temptation coming. And the hour of temptation is based and defined for us in Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, and again in Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, because he warns us in these chapters that be careful because the hour of temptation is going to be you and me letting some man take from us the crown that God has for us. That's your millennial inheritance. And he says, make sure that no man takes your crown because the crown is symbolic of you and me figuring out what God wants us to do, getting involved in it and buying the field and doing and the great hour of temptation that came upon the whole world of the church was for a man to stand up and take from you your crown. And then the other place in Revelation, it talks about the fact that somebody takes your garments. And during this life, it's just simple. It's not complicated. We like to make it complicated, or maybe we don't like to talk about it because it is too simple. But the Christian life is not tough. The Christian life is you, as a mom and dad, sitting at the spindle, with a thread in your hand, and you're going to see it as we get into it next couple of weeks, making the clothes for your children first. Making sure that they are clothed at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. That the nakedness does not appear. And then the second thing that we do is we give a portion to our maidens. And that's what we do. We help people that come into this church and they're lost. They're not saved. And Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 talks about the fact that God, you know, when a person is lost, they're they're naked in sin. There's no covering for them. And they'll stand at the great white throne judgment naked before God and then dumped into the lake of fire. So we have what the Bible calls in Isaiah 64, 6, garments of salvation. And you help people get that garment on you help them cover the nakedness of their sin and clothing them into the, into the garment of salvation. And then after they're saved, we, we sit at that spindle. Many of you do it all week long. I do it all week long. And you sit down with people and you sit there, and I know you're opening up your Bible, you're going through discipleship one or discipleship two. I get that or you're teaching something else. I get that. But clean all that off. What you're doing is sitting there at that spindle helping those people sew their clothes together for the judgment seat of Christ. Clothes, one place you're clothed from the naked of your sin, garments of salvation. The other place after you're saved, you're clothed from the garment of the nakedness of your flesh. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and 8. Robe of righteousness. Robe of righteousness. Everything that you have now uh, opens up to the fact that uh, you're helping that person be clothed when they stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ. That's really what it is. I know that's probably too simple, but that's, that's how simple it is. I mean, when we all met, the first thing we did in my, when we worked, we started working in the Bible together. And my goal for you was to help you learn the Bible. And as you learn the Bible, you applied the Bible. And as you applied the Bible, you let God change you. And all through that process, you're sitting there, I'm sitting there at that spindle. And every piece of thread that we put into the garment will be a biblical principle. It'll be a verse. It'll be a chapter. It'll be an understanding this better than this. That's what we do. Every time we have Bible Institute, we sit down, and I'm just sitting there at that spindle with the thread, helping weave your life into the Word of God that will produce a robe of righteousness at the judgment seat of Christ. Every time you disciple somebody, every time somebody works with you, every somebody signs you, I know, I know, I know. You don't look at it that way. I get it, I understand. But the bottom line is this: somebody is sitting there at the spindle with a distaff, the thread. And they're helping you put together a garment that's going to be a garment of the robe of white righteousness when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And, uh, you know, people sometimes, they they get mad at us uh, sometimes. And, uh, you you know, when you try to help them with the Bible, you've all experienced it. I've experienced it all my life. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that, and I know you know this, that uh, people come to the point where they 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 start out wanting to do what they need to do, but then at some point, for some reason, then they want to start to resist that change. And a lot of it has to come back to what we talked about last week, attitude and action. You know, somebody will change their action for a while, but if they don't really change the attitude, then the action will slide back into what it was before. It, it's just the way it was. You know, and uh, I've always thought if they could only understand, and I get it, they don't have any discernment, they don't have any any uh, perseverance, any ability to see any perception, And but I've always thought to myself, if they could only see what the really goal is, uh, our goal is in verse 19, that all we're trying to do is help you learn how to sew. That's all we're doing. We're setting a needle and a thread and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a spindle and everything there to show you And help you understand how to make clothes. For your kids first. If you got kids. Meet to your household. And then, you know, to the maidens. Or if you're not, you know, you're just by yourself to help you get to that point. And I understand why people sometimes get upset. They don't want to change. And, uh, you know, change is tough. And I got to tell you something. The older you get, the tougher change is because we get set in our ways, and we don't want to change. And that's why, you know, most people, if you're going to have somebody that's older, like myself, uh, come over to eat, eat on time. you be 40 minutes late, I'm going to be pretty grumpy. In fact, I've been to my kid's house, and they've been just put it off, and I just said, I'm going to run out and get a bite to eat. I'll be back here in just a little bit. Now, I know that's not right but i'm setting my ways in a lot of things i mean i am i mean i i mean the older yeah you're laughing at me now when do you get to be my age when do you get to be 40 or 50 <laughs> when do you get to that point in your life you 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 you'll see the you see the proof of that and it's a thing where and i've know, i've seen people that, that were in their 30s and their 40s that are so bullheaded that they you know i mean they they ain't going to change about anything people reject change as a natural part of the human life. And that's why when a person gets saved, truly saved, what changes about them first is their soul. And once the soul gets changed, now you have the ability, if you'll do the right process, to change everything about your life. So I just painted myself into a corner. I guess I need to get saved so I can come over and eat and everything. everything. But but it's a thing where, you know, uh, you see it all the time. And most of them have no discernment, they have no perspective about anything. And so they can't see and understand what you're trying to do to help them. And uh, I'll tell you a story. It goes along with this. I went over to uh, Pro Bass the other day, Troy. I had some gift cards to use, and Is uh, it Bass Pro? okay I don't know. It's, a, it's it's that one with a big fish with his tail sticking out, so you know how it went over here is, so I'm driving in the driveway that would up at it, and then you got to turn into the parking lot, so I turn into the parking lot, and there is a snapping turtle about that big, a good twenty five thirty pounder and she this is the time of year why you see them on the roads killed and they're walking because they're laying their eggs, so they move. To, to lay their eggs and that's what that's why you see them all the time on the road this time of the year. And she was moving from one little patch of forestry there and to another one. And I'm you know, hey, I'm afraid she's gonna get hurt, run over. I'm driving down the road and I see one. I'll pull over and go up and pick her up and get them off the road. Well she was big. And and I parked the car, came up and come up to her and 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 she was not in a good mood. And it's a thing where I, what you do with them, you know, you you, you don't, I mean, most people don't know. They have a neck that's about that long. And it's faster than any snake that you ever saw in your life. And a snapping turtle bites you. He doesn't let go. He will will hang on to you forever. And there's a couple of things that you got to do if you want to get him off. But I'll tell you, he's there for life. And you can have him bite a stick and hold him up. And and they've got tremendous power. I used to trap them for a living years ago, them and frog legs. And I used to catch 40, 50 pounders. I mean, they're that big around. I would cut their heads off, bleed them out, let them bleed out for two or three hours and they got a bone on both sides that you got to get the meat, you got to get off to get the bottom of the shell off. I'd take a hacksaw, and I'd start hacking on, and that thing, his head had been cut off for hours. He would reach around with his, and his claws were as big as my hands, and he would grab that hacksaw to keep me from cutting it. Now, that isn't scary. I'll tell you what, man, I'll tell you. So anyway, I'm thinking, no big deal. I want to get this turtle off the road. And so I, and, and she, she defensive mode right away. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'll just come around behind her and I'll grab her this way. Every time I move, she turned with me. <laughs> and she's snapping at me. And, 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 and she was having a bad hair day and she didn't even have any hair that I could see. And, and, I, and, I, and I tried and I put my hand, I finally got my hand on the back of her shell to press her down and then grab her tail And she kicked my hand off and (laughs) I said, hey, lady, you're dead. You go ahead and get run over if you want to. But as I drove away, I thought to myself, you know what? She's just like a lot of Christians that I've tried to work with in my world. She didn't have any perception. If I could talk turtle talk, I would have said, you know, hey, I'm just trying to get you off so that big truck don't run over you because Billy Bob's going to smash you on his way to get a Lamar donut down a quick trip. She, she, she didn't want to hear it. She could not discern or have any perception that I was trying to help her. So she was nasty and tried to bite me and hostile. And I thought to myself as I drove away, I knew a God of God's people that that I tried to help. And all I was trying to do was get them turned the right way so a truck of life wouldn't run over them. You know what they do? They just try to bite you. They get an attitude about it. They get mad. You've all experienced it. And if I thought to myself, if 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 people could just get a little bit of understanding and, hey, I got no private or personal agenda f- with you. I just want you to be everything that God wants you to be. But I know there's a process you've got to do through that, and you get mad at me because you don't want the process. It's okay. Be the snapping turtle run over by the truck. But I'm just telling you, I understand. I understand. You know, in school, I don't know what books you have to read now, but when I was in school, we had to read a book called The Emperor's New Clothes. You ever heard of that book? How many read that book? Oh, four or five of you graduated from school. That's good. Well, The Emperor's New Clothes is a book about two tailors, seamsters. And they wanted to give the king a brand new set of clothes that they were going to make for him. In their minds, they really didn't make it, but they pretended that they made a suit of clothes that it was invisible. And so the king puts it on, and they tell the king, the only one who can see these clothes are the ones that are love you and part of your kingdom." If a person can't see him, they're your enemy. And, of course, he goes naked. And they draped him with his clothes. and He's naked, all invisible. And he's strutting around, and they're saying, oh, it's beautiful. Isn't it wonderful? Yes, it's just the most beautiful thing. Well, the word got out. Nobody wanted to go to jail or got their head cut off, so now everybody's thinking that the emperor's new clothes, which are no clothes at all. He's naked. That's how Bubba says it, Naked. (laughs) And they're all saying, oh, your majesty, you look really nice today. He's naked. So they're going down this day in this great parade, and he's as naked as a jaybird. But nobody in the kingdom wants to say he's naked because of the fact that they're going to get their head cut off because they've been told that if the king's been told if they can't see your clothes, they're disloyal who oh, wants to die over being a naked king. So everybody is saying, oh, you look wonderful today. It's it's just gorgeous. That's a, I love your clothes. And he's parading around, you know, just as naked as he could be. So they're having this parade down through town. And everybody's saying, oh, oh, you're just wonderful. Oh, that's beautiful clothes. And right in the middle of the crowd is this little four or five-year-old kid. And he yells out real loud, hey, the king's naked. You know, you know, most of Christianity is just like that book. Some great pastor, quote, some great theologian has convinced us that we are clothed in righteousness and we're going to be okay at the judgment seat of Christ when in reality they've taken the truth of the word of God from us, they've taken your garments, they've taken your crowns, and you're walking around like that king and you're going to be as naked as can be at the judgment seat of Christ? And right now you think you're clothed. I mean, you, you, you think that you you're just look wonderful as a Christian. Yet, Revelation chapter 3, verse 17 says, uh, when the fact truly is that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. And this is why they don't like me. This is why some of you don't like me. I'm that little four or five-year-old in the crowd saying, hey, you're naked! But you're under the delusion that you're clothed wonderfully today. That's the problem. The Bible tells us that in Revelation 3 18 that this church needs to get some eye salve. It anoints your eyes so you might be able to see. Well, now, that was a great example of that back in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 24 through 28 or 48, one of those, the whole chapter just about. And that's the story of Jonathan and Saul. Saul was a great big pastor, he was always blaming the people for their failures. And so he does all these non-biblical things. And so one day he says, I don't want anybody to eat any food before we go to battle. And so they don't eat, go to battle, and they're so weak from not eating, they get, they get beat. And you know what? After they get whipped, you know what he does? He blames it on the people, just like every pastor will do when you don't jump through the hoops because they made stupid hoops for you to jump through Then you have little Jonathan. Bible says that he didn't, he disobeyed his father. You know what he did? He found some honey. And that honey is a type of the word of God. And he ate that honey and the Bible says the moment he ate that honey, his eyes were enlightened. And he said, you know who the real trouble is here? It isn't the people, it's the king. See what honey will do for you? That's the eye salve you need. And that's what we're about. That's all we're trying to do. We're trying to get you to see with discernment and, pers- and perspective and perceive and discern. And my job and the job of my fellow laborers in this church is to help you see clearly the eyes have. A pastor should never care where you come from. They should never look back in their, in your past and say, well, you did this or you did that and, and judge you on that basis. And I'm telling you right now, you never care where somebody's come from. You only care on where they want to be now and where they want to go. And allowing people, God's people, allowing people to always live in the past Dwell, And you find some of God's people, that's all they can do. They just keep going back to the past. And that will never work for a Christian. And the job of any church, any pastor, or the people that work with people is to help you get there, teach you how to sow. Getting past your past. And most people have no perspective. They have no discernment of understanding any right or wrong. And we see the same problems in America today. In fact, that is the problem in America today. Now, let me clarify this before I say what I'm going to say here, come through this thing to show you the parallel. I am nonpolitical. I don't care. I don't care about anything in politics. Um, Some people like this guy. Some people like that guy. Uh, At the end of the day, the bottom line is, you know, uh, uh, no matter who gets in office, no matter who does what, it's not going to slow or fast up the second coming of Christ and the rapture of the church. And there isn't any man that you're going to put in office outside the Lord Jesus Christ that's going to fix this country. Now, they may do some good things, and I'm all for that. They may help us do, get, do some good things for the Lord. I'm all for that. I, I am. But I'm not under any illusion that the answer to America's problems is going to be found in who's going to be president Amen. or who's going to be mayor. Or who's going to be governor? And that's an illusion that we're under today that we, we, we just lose sight of that whole thing. And, uh, you know, and, and, and seemingly there's no answer to it. And right now, and for a long time, uh, this country is in deep trouble. And for a long time, it's been based, and even today, it's obviously based around, you know, the, the racial issues that we all, we all face and struggle with. And, you know, I'm the first one to tell you. You know, I don't look at it from a political standpoint. I'm going to give you today, whether you like it or not, whether you accept it or not, doesn't matter to me. I'm going to take you back, like I always do, to the Bible. Now, uh, you know, it's a thing where we talk about race. And race goes back to the human race. That's the term. The word race came off the original term of the human race. And the human race went into effect back in Genesis chapter 10 when God divided the nations. And from that point on up to today and into the future till the Lord comes back and sets up His government, the human race is going to be a race for one nation, one ethnic group, one whatever to get ahead of the other. And that's all that it's going to be. And uh, when the times that the Gentiles came in, I mean, uh, you, had the, you had the Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. That was a supreme race. And everybody else in the world was no good. Then you had, you had, you had the Assyrians, and then you had the, the Greeks, and then you had the Romans. And they all were groups of people, Gentiles, yes, but they were groups of people who ran the world and made everybody else in the world their slaves. You see, slavery didn't start in America. Though I think slavery is a terrible thing. But when you don't have the perception and the discernment to see how this thing works, I mean, I remember in 1933, Adolf Hitler started the white supremacy, Aryan race. That only white ethnic Germans of the Aryan bloodline were the superior race and everybody else was substandard everybody. Then after the war, you had down south, you had your Ku Klux Klan groups, your 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 Aryan Brotherhood, or your white supremacist groups, and they think they're superior. Then when we got out into the 50s and the 60s, we got into the Cold War, and Russia was the big power, and everybody else, they wanted to enslave the world. So see, the human race The idea of race, because we're in it right now, and I'm going to talk about it in a moment. We're in it right now up to our eyeballs. And seemingly there's no answer to it, though I'm going to show you the answer to it. And it's a thing where all down through history, the human race has been a race of humans to put one race over another race to rule them. And little do they know all down through history, because they have no discernment. They have no perspective. Little do anybody know and understand. It ain't going to be white power. It ain't going to be black power. It isn't going to be communist power. It isn't going to be Nazi power. It's going to be Jew power. They're going to run the world someday. And right now, hey, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. What do you think he means by that verse? And I understand that in America, the race issue has been along for a long, long time. And it's, 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 I, 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 I'm in total sympathy with any minority group who gets persecuted uh, without, uh, you know, who just trying to have a better life and trying to be a human being. And I'd tell anybody this. If you want to see the model for dealing with race in America, it would be here in this church. You know why? Because when you get into Christ Jesus, there is no race. When you get into Christ Jesus, I think the song goes, red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. There is no race in Christ Jesus. I got three black boys here who call me their dad. And I love it. I got a lot of you white honkies call me dad too, and I kind (laughs) of like it. There's no race here. We laugh at it. We make fun of it. But I'm telling you, you know, this nation, listen to me very carefully. Here's the problem. This nation is anarchy. This nation is an insane asylum run by the inmates. This nation is in such bad shape. Our police officers are under tremendous pressure. And you say, well, you got bad police officers. you got bad Baptist preachers. Amen. So do we throw out all the churches because there's a few bad, goofy Baptist preachers? Hey, it's a thing where there has to be a better answer than that. Right. But that's reality, and nobody wants reality. You see, this nation needs healing. Everybody says it. They'll get up and they say, We need to heal. They'll carry banners. We need to heal. Heal our country. Heal our race problems. Heal this. Heal that. Heal all these things. But I want to tell you something going back to the Bible, there's a place where you have a tree that is for the healing of the nations. And that is the tree of life. And today, right now, in Christianity, you and I are the leaves. Remember, Israel, Romans 9 and 11, was the natural branches. We got grafted in. Now we are the leaves of the tree of life, and we are the only way we can heal this nation. As leaves. I, I think terrible injustice is done to Black Americans in the last 300 years. I I totally understand that. Hey, I grew up in 1970 in Canton, Ohio, and was at the Canton Baptist Temple. I won a black man to the Lord at the Hoover Company, whose name was John Tony. John Tony wound up being a preacher and running a black church and doing a tremendous job. And I saw him at Mel's funeral just a, several years ago, and he's still doing the job. <coughs> I want him to Christ. He wanted to get baptized. The Canton Baptist Temple would not allow a black man to be baptized in that white church. Now, that was my first introduction to it. You see, I was from the other side of the tracks. I never knew anything about race, cared anything about race. But it was the first time that I was, and I asked Mel, and Mel said, I said, what is going on? I said, this guy's saved. He wants to get baptized. And he said, that's just the way it is. I said, well, that's wrong. He said, it is wrong. He said, tell him to be here at 11 o'clock tonight and I'll baptize him. So we baptized him. There was a church that J. Frank Norris started up in Temple Baptist in Detroit. And Temple Baptist in Detroit where they had all the Detroit riots. And it was one of the racist churches you ever found in this country. It wasn't even down south. It was up in Detroit. And when a pastor friend of mine went up there to be the pastor and they sat down to interview him, the first thing the deacons asked him, if we call you as pastor, will you guarantee us no black people will join this church? I think of Emmett, Tillman, or Emmett, Emmett Till, fourteen-year-old, 1955, brutally tortured, hung, thrown in a river, burned with a blowtorch by a white men down in the South, just because of the fact he talked to a white woman. I I I see it all around, and nobody has any answers. And I'm telling you right now, this is rule number one of life. So just write this down. If you don't get anything else, go home with this. Rule number one of life is if you don't put the Bible principles to your problem, your problem just gets worse. I I think the race in the South from the 30s even probably goes on today, but certainly uh, with the white supremacist group, the Ku Klux Klan, and all the persecution that all that the black man wanted to do was vote. You ever see the movie Mississippi Burning? It's about the three civil white workers who were killed by uh, the the white guys down there, the racists, because of the fact that uh, they wanted to get the black man the right to vote. And they said it ain't going to happen. And they found him on a road, they killed him, they shot him, and then they buried him in a swamp. I'm telling you, There has to be an answer to this, but you're not going to find the answer by a knee-jerk reaction. And everybody today wants to treat the symptoms without getting down and really solving the problem because the problem is only going to be solved with Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just that simple. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I look at this thing, you know, when I see our country around here. Everybody is afraid now to to do anything uh, to keep law and order. And I look at Nancy Pelosi last week, and I don't care about Nancy Pelosi. I mean, the fact that, you know, she's a Democrat means nothing to me. I could care less. It wouldn't matter to me what she is. I mean, uh, she can't help it that somebody lo- looked like took a ball-peen hammer to her head. I, I, but that's <laughs> not my problem either. But the bottom line is this. Made a big announcement last week. We're taking down all the portraits in the capital of all the speakers of the house that were connected with the Confederacy in the Civil War to erase racism. Now, you see, if, if that was the real deal, I'd be okay with it, but it isn't a real deal because they're only doing it because they want to get the black vote in the election in November. If that was really the case, you'd have taken them down a long time ago. Why now? Because elections in November. You see, what you find in this, and this is what really muddies the water, is great hypocrisy. Everybody wants to use race for their own personal gain at the expense of the good black people out there who love God and want to do what's right. But they'll hold you victim because they got an agenda, either politically or whatever the case may be. They had, they're taking all the statues down, down south of all the Confederate war leaders. They want to change the names of, of Fort Bragg and all the military bases that were Confederate soldiers. Because that's what they want to do. And people are so stupid. White people are so stupid that you sit there and you actually think there's some validity to that. Well, let me ask you a question. In World War II, the black man could not get into combat. He could be a cook. He could be a yeoman. That's a servant for an officer. He could be a dining room orderly. He could sweep the barracks and he could sweep out garbage cans, but he could not ever fight in combat. During World War II, there was a group from Tuskegee, a college down south that became known as the Tuskegee Airmen. They were called the Red Tails because they threw P-51s and all their tails were painted in red. Do you know what they had to go through to be able to get to that job? Because the United States Army, uh uh-uh, the United States Army, uh uh-uh, the U.S. Army had official policy that black men could not fight in combat and they could never fly airplanes because here it comes, When their mothers carried them through the jungles on their back, it messed up their eyesight and depth perception. That's the United States Army's official stand on why black men couldn't fight. And after they did fight and let them in in Korea, from Korea to now, 86 black men were awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. The Red Tails, they were escort fighters for the bombers, B-17s. I don't know how many escort flights they took to protect the B-17s from the Nazi fighters, but all the sorties that they flew in all the times they flew, they never lost one bomber. They protected them. In fact, by the halfway through it, the white guys were asking for the Red Tails to, because they didn't run. They didn't go off and chase the fighters and leave the bombers by themselves. I mean, why don't we picket the U.S. Army? Why aren't we up in arms about the Army? I'll go better than that. You like baseball? America's national pastime? You know who Ben Chapman was? Ben Chapman was the manager for the Philadelphia Phillies. And when Jackie Robinson started to play football, uh, baseball, he was a black man. Ben Chapman, along with everybody else, went out on that field when he was up the bat and called him everything in the world. That if you would say it today, you'd be in jail. He called him the most terrible racial slurs in front of 10,000 people. He made fun of a, uh, having a white wife, which he didn't. He made fun of, of of what he ate and all of that, and called him by the most despicable name over and over and over again. And everybody in the stands was clapping and applauding. Why don't we postpone baseball and get rid of it? I mean, if we're going to do the generals, if we're going to do the partridge in the in the house, why don't we just be consistent? But you know why? Because baseball brings in too much money. Get a why? Because you need the army. Folks, get a little discernment and get a little perspective. Amen. It's all fixed. Amen. It's all fixed. Amen. I mean, we're going to take down all of the... Paintings of all the men that were, were connected with that. Well, you got a dollar bill that's got George Washington on it, and he had slaves. You got Ben Franklin, he's on whatever he's on, $100 or whatever, and he had slaves. Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence, he had slaves. You see, your hypocrisy runs so deep. But you know why you exist in that? Because white men... And black people are so stupid, with no perspective and no discernment, that they don't see what's really going on. I mean, it's just that simple. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Two hundred years of slavery in America, and that's all. That's all. That's all. That's all, that's all you hear. I mean, you tear down the thing in the South. The Confederate War was a racist war. The people that have fought it were racist. Oh, hey, come on. I, I, I I'm against slavery. And I'm going to tell you the real reason. It ain't the reason that you probably are. Mine's out of the Bible. Yours is out of wherever you got it. Well, you know, slavery's been around for Genesis chapter 10. I mean, it's just that simple. I mean, come on. I mean, I'm telling you. The answer to our race issues is simply uh, the healing of the nations, and it's got to be healed if it's ever going to get fixed. And, you know, slavery has been around since Genesis chapter 10. I'm not saying it's right. But I'm saying you're going to focus on 200 years of history. Let me ask you a question. Just, just, I would ask this to any black leader. And I'm, and I'm for you. But I, I, I am for you, but I, 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 I live in reality. Now, we're tearing this country apart, marching up and down the street because of Black Lives Matter and all these things, and I'm all with you. But when did the black America ever lose 7 million people in the furnaces of Trublika, Auschwitz, and the Nazi Germany? Where's their parades? Do you know what the Babylonians did to the Jews when they took them captive in 606 B.C.? Do you know what Titus did in 70 A.D. when he came down? He enslaved them. Do you ever read Ezekiel chapter 1? Where's Where's Daniel and Ezekiel? They're slaves! You see, we have such a shadow picture of understanding history that we're caught up in our own little moment. And I get it! But it's not going to take fake Christianity with a political or a hidden agenda behind it, taking advantage of the moment and in in, injustices that have been done, but rather an understanding that in Christ, in Christ, there is no more race, that the Jew and the Gentile are now in one body. Now, here it comes. Here it comes. No man anywhere in history Never, we're in America, never in America, no man should ever be able to buy and purchase another human as a slave. Did you get that? All through history, over here, in America, right here, home of the brave, free of the whatever, should ever, 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 ever be allowed to purchase another human being and make that person their slave. Now, your answer to that is because black lives matter. My answer to that is based on the fact that why no man should ever be bought by another man because every one of us has already been bought and paid for at Calvary's cross. You're bought with the price. You don't have your rights anymore. He bought you at Calvary. You're his bond slave. And the fact that you will not recognize that, And give your life to him is the reason why we got the problems in America today. I'm telling you. Hey, I had a guy in my church back one time who was a, uh, and I won't tell you his name is, some of you might know him, Uh, but uh, you know what? He was in my church. Yeah, you ain't gonna believe this, William. Alex, he believed that you guys didn't have souls. You heard that before? Yeah, your wife mentioned that to me the other day. (laughs) He thought that black people were the mud people, the beasts of the field in Genesis. And he believed that. He thought that. And you see, guys will buy into that. But I bring it back to that little funnel called the Bible. Don't do that, that. you're right. (laughs) Because I see that the man that helped Christ carry the cross to Calvary was a black man. Are you saved this morning, amen, are you? No, no, are you truly saved this morning? Well, the first man in the Bible saved just like me and you was in Acts chapter 8, and he's an African-American, he's a black man. The first church over there, the Church of Antioch, look at it. You got two black men, a white guy, and another white guy who was a Roman, who was a nephew or grandson or some relation to the Roman emperor who hated God's people. And you know what? They're all working together. Listen, the world through slavery will tear this country apart. Christianity, of us understanding that we're already Christ's bond slave and we serve him together in Christ Jesus, that there is no race is the only real freedom you have. It always amazed me that the cry back in the day was, let my people go. And that was a slogan that you even hear today, but back in the 60s and the 70s, it was everywhere. Let my people go. And it's out of the Bible. But what the idiots didn't understand is let my people go was a Jewish term when they were Jews were under the slavery of the Africans. In case you haven't looked at a map lately, Egypt is in Africa. And Pharaoh was an African. But nobody caught that. I see him in Washington, DC, picketing, and tearing, and burning everything down. They were gonna burn down and destroy. They had to put the National Guard to keep him from destroying the Lincoln Memorial. What? He's the guy that freed the slaves. That's nuts. It's nuts. And I'm telling you. I'm just telling you. And I'm just saying. uh, uh, Here it is. And I get it. I understand. Here's my point. I know you've been waiting all night for this. Here's my point. I get it. Black lives do matter. I understand that. I get it. I realize it. I know there's been terrible injustices done, and I understand where you're coming from, and you have my sympathy, and I'm here to help. I believe that. But my problem is you didn't take it down deep enough because it isn't about black lives mattering until you understand it's about black souls mattering because you'll never change a person's life till you first make the change in their soul. And you can parade all you want. You can burn down the whole country if you want. You'll never change anything or make any difference till the change starts inside your heart. Then you have the ability to change. Now, where were all the black and white pastors doing these things, holding up the signs, no, black black souls matter. Let's get saved and start doing... Where were they at? And I'm telling you, without following biblical principles involved, we'll never fix the real issues. Without a Bible's answers and solutions, the problems will only get worse. So buckle your seatbelt. And I'm going to tell you, as long as the blacks and the whites keep going back to history and blaming everybody for their history and their problems... Going back to the Civil War, tearing down the Confederate flag, tearing down the Confederate statues, changing all the army bases. You know, I mean, until until they get and looking at all the injustices that were truly done. As long the biblical principle is, as long as you keep looking back, you're never going to have a future. Philippians three thirteen says. Brethren, I count it myself to have apprehended, not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind Amen. and reaching forth unto those things which are before. You, I don't care if you're a Christian. I don't care if you're a, a, an ethnic group. I don't care if you're a country. As long as you keep looking in your past and living off your past, you're never going to build a future. It's a time to work together. It's a time to, not, not through social uh, programs or educational classes or sensitivity groups. You get all of that when you get in Christ. Amen. When you realize that in Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, black or white or red or purple or yellow. It's all simply the blood of Christ. Amen. And there are no differences. There is no race anymore. Fully understanding that, yes, we are all slaves. We were locked down on the block at Calvary, and Jesus Christ paid the price to buy us all, and now we're his bond slave. You know, every time I hear of a tragedy, I, I don't really say this, it doesn't matter if it's black or white. We had a girl here a number of years ago, probably 10 years ago now, that came to church for probably a year or so, and then she got out of church. And uh, she got back out into the world, and I remember we had a Thursday night Bible study, like we always do. And I got home that night, and somebody called me on the phone and said, do you know that so-and-so was killed in a car wreck tonight? And I said, no. And he says, it was very bad. I says, I guess she was high speed with two other people in the car, and they hit a light pole, and the car burst into flames, and she burned to death. Very tragic. And I hear things like that all the time. And they said, what do you think about that? And this is my standard answer. I said, you know what I think? I think if she was at Thursday night Bible study tonight, she'd still be alive. I'm telling you, you take God out of your life, you take the word out of God out of your life, you take the church out of your life, and you're on your own, pal. And that's where our country is. Our country's on its own. It's absolutely in its final destruct mode. And there isn't one thing that's going to change it because it's going to take the leaves for the healing of the nations. And it ain't going to happen. It could, because we are the leaves. Too much, too much gone wrong. Too many people want an have an ulterior motive, and agenda, and and cause it all the strife. And they really don't want to get together. And let's be honest with you. Let's just be brutally honest. A lot of it just comes down to our own political system wanting to win an election in November. They will do. Whatever they gotta do, they will say whatever they gotta say. They will tell whatever lie, they will mistort any facts, any figures, anything they gotta do to win that election. And to think that you actually think that this country is about you anymore, you better get on your knees quickly and get saved because the only one that's gonna get you through this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 20. She stretcheth out her hands. To the poor yea she reaches forth her hand to the needy. Now there's two things here reaching out to the needy and the poor. Now in a literal sense it's it's literal poor people and needy people. I mean it, it could be you know uh, we saw this all the way through the book of Proverbs and you know our work to help those who are in tough times who are struggling. Down at Restart, sitting in the mission, the street ministry, doing what we can do. But in the context, when it says she stretcheth out her hands to the poor, uh, it's talking about us dealing with people. Because we have that food that's from afar. We have the perception to know that our merchandise is good. And we know that our job is to help them make their clothes. And it's a it's a definite reference to helping those who are spiritually in need. You know, right now across this country, so many uh, of you are doing that very thing. It's a thing where, you know, in this church and around this country and around the world, you're working with people through the phone systems and the emails and everything that we do. And people out there are needy. People out there need what the truth of the Word of God says. And, uh, you know, for us, I've learned this many, many years ago. It just took a while to get here. The ministry is not about one person. I don't care if it's the pastor. I don't care who it is. The ministry is never about one person. One person can only do so much. The ministry is about planting a vineyard with fruit-bearing trees. And those trees carry the seed, Holy Spirit of God, within themselves and keep bearing other trees. You know, I've so many times I've seen it where it's worked out this way that God will put somebody in your world and you'll do the preliminary work with them and through some process of whatever, taking them to dinner, lunch, or spending time with them, you'll invite them to church. And they'll come to church and hear the preaching and the preaching will be exactly what they needed to hear. And then you'll take it from there. And, you know, I, I may never, ever engage them in any issue that they're going through until later on. But that's what God does. He'll put you in the right place at the right time with the right person, bring them to me to let me give them what they need, and then I give you all the tools you have to work with them from that point on. That's how it's done. It isn't me. It isn't you. It's us as a fruitful vineyard. And everything I do in this church is to try to get us to the place where we operate that way, that not one person is just out there flopping in the wind, that everybody works together as a team. And I and I know I know I know it 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 can't all happen, but I'm telling you it it needs to be as tight as it can, you know, the, giving them uh, the, who have the false riches of the world, and even the false riches of some Christianity, versus the true riches of the Word of God, and uh, that will change you and take you from you know a dark past to a bright and glorious future. And I say it again, as long as this country, anybody else, no matter how righteous. Your injustices were, and I guarantee you they were. You can't live there. You have to look forward, and the only way you can come out of that dark past is through the Lord Jesus Christ and and the difference that he makes. And, uh, you know, the Christian life will really come down to where uh, we will make our investment. Just that simple. You know, over the years, dealing with thousands of people uh, in all kinds of situations, I mean, family issues, children issues, singles with issues, marriage with issues, you know, all levels, everything, everything you can imagine. I don't think there's a new problem that will ever come my way that hasn't been dealt with at least several times. And, uh, you know, you learn the pattern of human nature through all of that because fundamentally we're all the same. We just break down into, 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 into little stereotypes, really. And, uh, you know, I know you have your garden variety issues of some people, uh, uh, you know, and, and some people have deep-seated uh, bottomless pit issues. I mean, it, it, it comes that way. And, and sometimes you can help them, and, and sometimes you cannot help them. But it's never an issue that you don't try to help them. And it simply comes down to these two verses today. Understanding what you have, perception, that your merchandise, the Word of God is good. Once you get to that point in the life that that's the beginning, that's the opening. Now you realize that there's something different in this world that's real other than the world which isn't real. And if you can have that perception to see that, what you have, she, she perceive it, that her merchandise is good, then the next step is you allow God to use you, and you never you never you never allow your past. And never allow uh, it to uh, to stop you from healing and getting where God wants you to be. And, and 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 if you don't do that, then nothing really changes. You have to perceive what you have, and then you have to, at some point, put your hand to the spindle, and you have to go to work. You know, yesterday in Bible Institute, which was a great time, I thought I gave you a verse in Hebrews chapter five, verses twelve through fourteen, which really, really fits to right where we're at today. And, you know, the writer of Hebrews, Paul, he, he's writing this, and he says to them, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, he says that Paul's problem was the same problem that we all have today. There were some people that just will never get past the basics. I mean, uh, I've had people in my ministry over the years that had to be discipled three or four times. They come in, they start it, they don't finish it, they fall out, they come back, I want to do it again, don't last very long, it just goes and goes and goes and goes. And they seemingly never grow. And the key hallmark of them, no matter what they pretend they are or how they project what they are, is milk. It's just milk. Uh, Milk is just for for people who are not very strong in the Word of God. They they don't have the discernment. They don't have the uh, be able to perceive things. They just kind of take life as it comes, and they, and they make a mess out of just about everything in their life. and they, uh, it, It's only complicated by the cause that they won't change, and they won't see the need, uh, and they just keep making things worse because they'll never, never, never apply the biblical principles to fix what they really need to fix. Verse 13 says that they're unskillful in the Word of God. Uh, you have the Bible, but you just never learn how to use it in your own life first and in the life of your family or somebody else. Then verse 14 says, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age. And I told you yesterday that that's not just being old in a numeric number. But I've watched so many of you grow so fastly that, that you may be 20 or 30 years old, but your spiritual mentality is probably 50 or 60. And yet I've seen people that are in 40 and 50 that your spiritual mentality is 12 and 13. You're still in your junior high stage. The same goofy little issues that mess up junior high kids is what messes you up when you're 30 and you're 40. But full of age. And I want you to notice that the fullness of age only comes, if you look at that verse, by the reason of use. You see, it's more than just going out and getting a King James Bible. You, you, You have the perception that you know that what you have is good But unless you get on the spindle and use it as staff and start helping somebody make clothes, that's the only way you're going to get full of age is by reason of use. And then it goes on to say when you do use it, here's what it does for you. Them who are full of age, even by those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It exercises your senses. It builds you up. It makes you strong because you have to get doctrine out of the Bible to give to somebody else and you also get it yourself. You learn by the people you're working with. You learn by the people that you deal with. In 50-some years of my life, brother, I've learned more about people and my own self and my own frailties and my own struggles and why people are the way they are that I can stand before you and pay it out and show you why the country's the way that it is and be right dead on the money based on the Bible and show you that the only thing that's going to fix this country will be the only thing that will fix you, and that is getting into the book and letting God change who you are. And then you have the ability to discern between good and evil. See, right now you can't, for the most part, God's people. They think going to church is good, and everything at church is good, when going to church is good, but most of the things in church are not good. But there's no discernment. And you know... It's been my experience to see about four different kinds of people that you're going to work with, that you're going to find in any any church. God's people, forget the world. And this will be Hebrews chapter five where we looked at today. And, and you know, first, and I'm I'm going to start at the worst and work up. So, so number one is really number four. But you know, you first find you're going to find people, and I've had these. I've had them all my ministry. and Fortunately, they're, they're a very f- small percentage of it. But you have those who are totally unteachable. You're going to have people that you work with, and maybe some days you guys will pastor, or maybe you'll be out working someplace, and you're going to find people who, no matter how much you try to help them, how much you do for them, no matter how much time you spend and try to give them the truth about the Word of God, starting with about themselves they will never change uh, most of the time i've seen in my experience they put on you know the greatest spiritual act that you could ever see they'll take everything you give them and they'll learn to tell you exactly what they think you want to hear and yet behind your back they'll always have an issue with what you tell them hey i've had it all in my ministry I'm just telling you. You better get set for it. I never talk about these things. And, you know, there's things that you just learn. But but here we are. I mean, this is where we're at today. And they will always make you the problem, no matter what you try to do for them. Always will. If they don't outright lie about something you said or something you did, they'll certainly misrepresent you. You know, in many cases, uh, <clears throat> they won't like what you tell them. I've had this happen. I had a pastor call me, oh, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And he says, Pastor Alexander? And I said, yes, sir. He says, this is Pastor so-and-so. He says, do you have this guy's name in your church? And I said, yes, I do. And he says, well, he has been calling me down here and, uh, you know, uh, he uh, he evidently you have counseled him and he didn't like what you told him or whatever. So now he's reached out to us and uh, he's asked me to try to, to uh, you know, to wants to lay out his problem out to me, and uh, you see, I, he said I was not very comfortable with that because he's not in my church and he's not under my. And I so I wanted to call and just get your take on it. What, uh, what, what, what do you know about him? What, what, what do you want me to do, or how you want to do it? And I, and I, I, I the guy was a really nice guy, and I talked to him. I said, "Look, this is where this kid's at," and I said, um, "This is his problem. This is what I ran him through. This is what I showed him." And he said, well, I, I, I really don't see anything wrong with that. He says, that's pretty much right on the money. And I said, well, here's what's wrong with it. He didn't want to hear what I had to say. And people who don't want to change, people who don't want to grow, people who don't want to be taught, when you give them the truth, 99% of the time they'll find somebody else to tell them exactly what they want to hear because they don't want to hear what you're telling them. You're going to have people like that. You really are. And I'm telling you, it's a thing where uh, it, it's just the way that it goes in this, in, with this group of people. And, you know, and there's not one thing you can do to help them. I mean, the, I mean, that's the sad thing. I mean, there's not one thing you can do to help them. I'll sit back and think, well, what can I do? How can I change this? How can I do that? But there isn't one thing you can do because whatever you do, at the end of the day, they're going to hurt you. They're going to hurt you because they don't care about change. They don't want to change. And uh, their, their pride, their arrogancy, their inability to accept any teaching of truth about themselves that has to change to get this legend in their own mind, Clint Inchwood type mentality. And yet, you watch them. All my life I've watched them. After what, two or three, four years being in a the church? They ain't doing anything. Same old, same old they just run a little smoke generator and create a little cloud that they can hide in that you don't think anybody sees that they're not doing anything. And there's 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 no way that you can you can help them. I mean, anything you do, they're going to turn against you at some point. Anything you do, they're going to come back and say, "Well, he said this or they did this or I don't like this or I don't like that." And so in my mind, I hey, if I I'd much rather do nothing to help you if I'm going to get criticized for it. Than doing something to help you and still get criticized for it, at least the one way I didn't do anything. But I'm telling you, then you have the second type, and I tell you that that crowd—you you all look very somber when I was saying this. Like, you know, art thou the man? No, I'm just telling you. <laughs> it's, they, they're, they're a very small number uh, that you have in life to do that, but there are some, believe me. Now the second type—they won't hurt you but they're totally worthless. The world is their issue, and all they have in it. The field, the church, and the Bible is the last thing on their priority list. They will come, but they're never going to get involved, and they won't come very long, and they'll be sporadic. I call them revolving door Christians. They're just in and they're out. They'll show up for six months, walk in like they've been around here the whole time, and, uh, you know, you can't depend on them for anything. And uh, you, they, they just can't get past the world. And, uh, you know, the cares of the world is all that they really care about. They, they follow that rich young ruler syndrome in the Bible, that he came to Jesus and wanted to serve him. But when Jesus told him how tough it was going to be, the Bible says he went away because he had great possessions. He's the void of understanding syndrome. He has no understanding. He has no deception. He has no perception. He has no self-discipline. And you talk to them, boy. Boy, they'll tell you about all how much money they make, what a great job they have, how important they are. And they'll know more about everything than anybody else on planet Earth, no matter what the subject is. Just ask them. And, uh, you know, they're all experts in everything except when it comes to the principles of the Word of God. And they're absolutely worthless. But you love them. You love the, both of them. You love them. You try to help them. You try to do what you can do. But you, you, you have a reality of a discernment and a perception that you know what you're dealing with. Now, the third type of Christian will be the guy or the gal who comes in, and they have some issues. But what sets them apart is that they're tired of the world. The world system has used them and abused them. And these kind of people, they're going to be determined to fix whatever they've got to fix. They will follow the three-point outline of fixing our issues in life. And I use this all the time in dealing with people who have issues. I tell them the first thing, you if you've got a problem and it's a major issue, the first thing you've got to do is identify the problem. Too many of God's people want to f- solve problems that don't need to be solved and ignore the ones that really need to be worked on. So the first thing you are going to do is identify it. What is your problem? Second thing you've got to do is isolate that problem. You've got to put it over here from everything else you're dealing with and realize that this is your a problem. You've got to identify it. You've got to isolate it. And then you've got to get into the book and take the biblical principles and you've got to annihilate it. You've got to beat it six ways from Sunday. You've got to submerse it in the Word of God. You've got to identify it. You've got to isolate it. And then you've got you to just tear it apart. You've got to just bathe it in the Word of God to get past these things. And, uh, you know, these kind of people have enough perception and discernment and they're tired of the world and they want to do it. And they'll They'll do whatever you tell them to do. I've had them to say, if you tell me to stand on my, cor- stand on my head in a corner for six months and read the Bible upside down, that's what I'll do. They just want to fix their problem. They're like me. They understand When my early years, like I told you a couple of weeks ago, when Mel Sabaka, God put him in my life, I recognized who he was. And I'm telling you now, I would not be here if it wasn't for the man God put in my life that kept me straight and told me what I didn't want to hear. But you just blow it off, see. I'm telling you. And these kind of people, they'll get the victory. They will. And when they get the victory and they put these things in their life, they'll be invaluable to this work here of what we're trying to do. Then you got the fourth one, which is really the number one one. And this will be the guy and the gal who comes in either saved or lost. And if they're lost, they usually get saved here. They find the truth of God, and they just never look back. There is no real issues. They just want the truth, and they found it. They see what God is doing here, and they want to be part of it. It doesn't matter if they have to drive from wherever. I've had them driving from Clinton, Missouri, to come up here to come to church. I've had them driving from Olathe. I've had them driving from, from, uh, from everywhere, out in Grain Valley. It, it, truth doesn't have that's too far for me to go. Amen. Not today. Right. Now, these people will consider a field with me, Kansas City, and they'll buy it. They'll help buy it. Uh, they get past the milk and into the strong meat, the Bible doctrine, and off they go. And they're like Samuel. These kind of people, and really the last type too, They once they get in, they never let a word of God fall to the ground. All you got to do is look at their Bibles, look at their notebooks, watch them while you're preaching, watch them on Thursday night Bible study. They're in it, man. They're in it. They're they're, they're they're getting everything that they can. A guy told me one time, he says, the problem with this church is the fact that when you come to get a drink of cold water on a Thursday night Bible study or a Sunday morning church service, the problem is it's like trying to get a drink out of a fire hydrant. Fire hydrant comes out about 1,800 feet per second. Try to get a drink, it'll rip your lips off. <laughs> Which in some of your cases could be an improvement. <laughs> you know, you hear me use Samuel a lot, and uh, he is a great example of how God will take anybody and uh, will develop them for his work that is laid out in Proverbs chapter 31. And, I, and I, I studied Samuel a long, long time ago because it was so important to me. And I found six things that, that he, he really made him what it, God was looking for in him. And I would say that they're the same six things that I look for. And if you study his life and read his life and see everything about it, the first thing you'll see that he was a faithful priest. He stays with everything that God gives him, even the little things. The second thing is he wanted God's heart. The third thing is he, he gets into God's ministry. He becomes a priest. The fourth thing is that he builds a sure house. He does not buy the book. Everything that he does is exactly the way the Word of God says to do it. And then he walks before the Lord in everything that he does. And the last thing that he does when you see it is he makes, he makes the ministry of God his life. He perceives that his merchandise is good. His candle never goes out. He lay his hands upon the spindle for the work of the ministry and he makes clothes for those who cannot make them for themselves. And he considers a field and he buys it. And you know, three or four is what God's looking for. They will be what Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14 says they should be. They get the Bible doctrine. Allow that doctrine through the ministry. Give it to others. It allows the Word of God to define who they really are. They see what they need to change because they're honest about it. And then they let the Word of God define them, and then the Word of God ages them spiritually. And then by reason of use, they exercise their senses, and they get to the point in their life, like the woman in Proverbs 31, like so many of you that work with me one-on-one, they get discernment and perception in the work of understanding good and evil and dealing with people. And I'm telling you, the ministry is not complicated. It's not hard. It all comes down to some just basic fundamental rules that you have to follow, just like the Bible. And there's things that you look for. There's an evidence that has to come with true Christianity. And people can be saved but not have the evidence. Because they'll get to the point, like the first two people, they're they're just not going to change. They're not going to do anything. They have got their minds made up that they're okay. And they're the biggest jokes on the planet. But it's a thing where they are so prideful and so arrogantly into themselves that they stop letting anybody help them who can help them a long time ago. And everything else now is just the big dance on Saturday night. And it's a thing where nothing really changes them. And God takes you. And will mold you and make you into everything and put your hand on that spindle. And I'm telling you, the problem in America, as the problem with all the issues, as the problem we have in Christianity, is the world cannot see with discernment and perception the way things really are. And until you allow the biblical principles into your issues listen to me, until you allow the biblical principles into your issues, your problem is only going to get worse. Because nothing is going to change in a world that is changing constantly. You need something that never changes, that is fixed. Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We do love you. Thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for.